Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Acts 16, verses 16 to 34. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had been given a severe beating, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Salus were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was an earthquake, so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. Blessed be the reading of God's word. So we have this rather weird story today. I love it. Acts is full of like Twilight Zone type uh, stories in it that that seem that you're kind of going. That was a strange story after after hearing them. And and today's text is is kind of one of those stories. But it really it belongs in the context of the story we heard last week, which is the story about meeting Lydia, who sold purple cloth and became an important disciple of the church. Became a uh, you know, uh, one of the patrons of the early church, and, uh, and while Paul and Silas were in Philippi, uh, Lydia's home became kind of the headquarters. And it's here in Philippi where Paul is is preaching that we run into this unnamed slave girl. So we have 
and it poses this contrast. We have this rich woman who has an entire household and deals in purple, and now we have an unnamed slave woman uh, who is going along, and she has the spirit of divination. So, you know, if she lived today, we'd be calling her on a 1-900 number and asking her to do psychic readings for us and things like that. So, you know, this is a, this is a person who, could, who apparently could predict the future. And uh, this woman, this slave girl, was exploited by those who owned her. Uh, and that's how they made their money. They exploited this young woman. They went around, she told the future, they collected the fee, and away they went. So uh, here's this exploited young slave, and she keys in on Paul and Silas. And she says, behold, here is a slave to the Most High God. Uh, It's an interesting thing that she does there. She kind of equates Paul and herself and makes that, there's an equation there. Paul is also a slave like me, Paul and Silas, walking around. And anyway, she keeps running into them around town, and every time she sees Paul, behold, here a slave to the Most High God. And then he sees him in the mall. Hey, behold, here a slave to the Most High God. Sees him out in the park. Hey, behold, here a slave to the Most High God. Sees him uh, downtown in the synagogue. Hey, behold, here a slave to the Most High God. Until Paul is like, will you leave me alone? We know already. (laughs) Stop calling me out in front of everybody. And Paul is getting annoyed. (laughs) And so... Paul turns to her and rebukes that spirit of divination in her and exercises that spirit out of her. Boom! Uh, Spirit of divination come out of that girl. Now leave me alone. (laughs) And we're even told in the scripture that Paul was annoyed to the point that it drove him to exercise that demon out of her. Which, uh, and we don't know, we never hear from this slave girl again. What we do hear from in this text are the guys who own this girl and who were exploiting her for money. We hear from them. They're pretty upset. He just took our livelihood. Where do you get do-gooder going around exercising demons out of people? You're causing all kinds of trouble. And they go to the authorities. They go to the Roman authorities. And they say, look, we got these outsiders here. And they're bringing in all their crazy ways. And they're taking jobs from us. And they're talking in a different language. I don't even know who they are. They're Jewish. They're bringing all these customs in and trying to change the Rome, trying to change Philippi, trying to change Rome. They're messing everything up. And they want the authorities to get them out. And the authorities go and to Paul. It's it's funny. They never bring up the slave girl or the or, or the circumstances of this particular thing. But instead, they point to their ethnicity, and they point to how they are uh, they are going to uh, destroy the Roman culture. And they go to this xenophobia, ethnophobia, and. They go to this racism and discrimination. Are you seeing that? I, I, I could be talking about Philippi. I could be talking about 
some other places. <laughs> right? So they arrest Paul and Silas. The authorities come. They arrest Paul and Silas. They throw them in jail. So that's one story. And we have this incredible... And, it, and you, I hope you see how uh, this young slave girl who's been exploited uh, matches up to or is connected to Lydia who is a, a rich woman who's supporting the ministry. And they go hand in hand. There's two, two significant encounters in the Bible. And for some reason, Luke keeps wanting to bring up what they do for a living. This woman sells purple. This woman is exploited by some men. Typical. And then we get into this other story. And it's, it's funny that they're put there together. But here is Paul and Silas. They're shackled. A bunch of other people are shackled in their, in their uh, cells. Uh, so picture them. They're chained to the wall. The cells are closed and locked. And there is an earthquake. And the cell doors open. The chains fall from their hands and their feet. And they're free. Right? Uh, and this is as a result of they've been in prison, they've been singing songs all night, they've been praising God, they are holding worship service basically all night long. And then this earthquake comes and frees them. They're free. But they don't go anywhere. Everyone sits, everyone sits tight. I'm not going out there. Let's just, let's just chill. Let's just hold still for a minute. While the the guard wakes up, I guess, <laughs> and sees that all the, the cell doors are open. And he's thinking, they're going to kill me. I'm, I'm in so much trouble. I was supposed to watch these. Now everybody in the whole prison is gone. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna do all kinds of crazy tortures and whatnot. You know how Romans are. They're going to make an example of me. And so he whips out his sword and he's going he's gonna to do it before the Romans can. And Paul says, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Pokes out. <laughs> hey, we're all still here. <laughs> Don't be hasty. <laughs> we, it's okay. <laughs> so he goes in there and, and, and Paul is confronted by this guy who is, doesn't know what to make of it all. And his reaction is he falls down before Paul and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a strange question at this point. What must I do to be saved? And I wonder if, uh, I wonder if at that moment he's thinking about what must I do to be saved from getting in trouble for all this uh, stuff? How am I going to get everyone back in their shackles? <laughs> right? What must I do to be saved from this? But we know Luke is trying to talk about something else. What must I do to be saved? And this is not a, a, an uncommon question in the world we live in today when we start talking about church and spirituality and Jesus and God and all of those kinds of things. What must I do to be saved? Many would say that it is a central question to faith. Uh, what must I do to be saved? And uh, I promise you, if you Google that, there are millions of people who know, think they have the answer <laughs> to that. And there's a lot of different answers out there. 
But, you know, I think the question begs, saved from what? From what are we asking to be saved from? Like I say, maybe this guard is asking to be saved from the consequences of whatever has just happened here that are going to come falling down on him. But when we ask this existential question, how, what must I do to be saved? What are we asking for? What, what do we think we are being saved from? Now I know for the slave girl, and, and I think this is why this text is right here. For the slave girl, she was being saved from exploitation. She was being saved from exploitation. Lydia, what was Lydia being saved from? She was being saved from a a life without purpose, perhaps. Or uh, she was being saved from a life of of obscurity. We're talking about her now, 2,000 years later. That's amazing. (laughs) Uh, She had a contribution to make that was huge, and God saved her so that she could make that contribution. Paul was saved. Paul, who persecuted the church, who was filled with so much rage and hate and passion for the, for the dogmatic version of what God was about, he got saved from that and became the number one missionary to those who he thought were outside of salvation, beyond saving. And he made it his life's work to go to the Gentiles and, and save them. <laughs> so Paul was saved from something, uh, a, a life of persecuting others. He was given a life of bringing people into life instead. So I draw from all of that that, that when we say, what must I do to be saved? It seems to depend on who's asking. What must happen to be saved? And Paul's answer to this was, uh, believe on Jesus. Believe on Jesus and you will be saved. But I also think that that has, that has a, I mean, that's a whole other sermon, really. What does it mean to believe on Jesus? And how, what does that look like? And I wonder if what that looks like is Paul being blinded on the road to Damascus and becoming a missionary for the Lord. And it looks like Lydia... Uh, leaving, uh, you know, dedicating herself to hospitality for the early church. And it looks like this slave girl getting away from these guys and going on with her life. We don't know any more about her, but I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to imagine that she went on to do something else and she became useless to these guys and could live her life in freedom. Uh, it looks like maybe, it looks like this, this jailer, uh, him and his whole family becoming followers of Christ through Paul patiently waiting (laughs) in his cell. And it looks very different to believe on Jesus for everybody. And, And, you know, what a blessing it is to have that diversity. Because I know that for a lot of people in church, and a lot of things when you Google, this is what it's going to be about, for a lot of people when you say, what do I got to do to be saved? They're thinking about what happens after I die. What's going to happen to my soul when I die? Am I going to go to hell or am I going to go to heaven? 
But every time I read about being saved in the Bible, it has nothing to do with that. And you see, in all of these stories, being saved has nothing to do with that. And I can tell you this, that my own salvation, my own salvation story has nothing to do with where I'm going when I die. It has to do with how I live here and now. When I say I'm saved by Jesus and I believe on Jesus, what I mean is that, that as a young person, I felt lost, I felt unworthy, and I felt like I had no place for me. I was such a weird kid. <laughs> and I just did, I mean, I, I, I fit in in some ways, but in other ways, I just felt like I didn't even belong in, in this world. This world just didn't even make sense to me. And I just struggled to find my place in it. I had a bad haircut, and I said goofy things that people didn't understand, and they laughed at me instead of with me. (laughs) And I felt very outside of the world I lived in until I started talking to God about it. And seeing the kind of world that Jesus Christ described and the kind of world that Jesus Christ desired. And I heard the voice of God say, I want you to help make this happen. And I think that same voice says the same thing to each of us. I'm saving you so that you can help make it happen. Amen? Salvation means that we get to go to work bringing about salvation to this hurt and broken and wounded and ugly evil world we live in where it's not right we're not where we're supposed to be this is not the kingdom of god but this is the kingdom of god amen Amen. it's right here and so as I hear, as we talk about salvation today, as we hear this in this text, as we explore this idea, what must I do to be saved? And we ask, well, what does salvation look like for me? We're all invited to describe that for ourselves. We all have our own salvation story, amen? But they all work together. To bring about the kingdom of God in our own little spaces. And in that way, the good news truly is transforming the world. Amen? Amen? Amen. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Let us pray. Our loving and gracious God, we come before you as those who have asked this question, what must I do to be saved? And maybe some of us are still asking this question. What must I do to be saved? And we acknowledge that the answer is less about what we do and more about what you do. More about how you satisfy the things that are needed within us. To find our place. To claim our son or daughtership and to be followers of you. This life, life to come. 
We thank you and we praise you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.